Live from Columbus, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I review the 99 brand hard seltzers, chat about a Chekek and his Red Mantis assassins, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. And we're live. We're live. Yeah. How exciting. It's a really crappy day outside. Yeah, like 36 degrees and drizzly. Yeah, just what, like yesterday or the day before, we were in the 60s or 70s. It was gorgeous fall yeah. weather, and now here we are. Well, gorgeous fall. I feel like that was a little unseasonal, too. We went from unseasonal yeah. to unseasonal. Mm-hmm. It should be like 50 degrees right now. Yeah, well. That should be the standard. I wish that would be great for this time of year. I think. Yeah. yeah. How are you doing Griff? You know, I'm ready. I think (laughs) it's 99 bracing myself clenching. I've been clenching this whole time. Nothing above the belt, but clenching below the belt. Okay, good. Yeah. We were talking a little bit in the pre-show been a rough night and rough morning for me, but I'm hanging in there. I'm really hoping these 99 branded hard seltzers will bring us around I just got to have faith and be optimistic at this point. Griff, what you been up to lately, man? Uh, well, it's officially been uh, 24 hours since I donated blood, so I think mm-hmm. I'm allowed to drink, even though yep. I've been drinking for that whole 24-hour period uh, beforehand. Let uh, it begin. <laughs> you, the listeners, will hear a little bit about the experience that I had uh, donating blood on, I believe an episode that is already out at the point that this releases, but is next week's episode. Yes. I had a good time. So I did that. I works had me going into the office. So my experience with that hasn't been great because my internet's really bad Mm -hmm. in the office for my phone. Like Mm -hmm. there's, there's no cell service, probably purposely. I feel like they're just putting jammers in the building. So my cell service is terrible. So I can't listen to anything on my phone. But you've got some pretty loose firewalls at work. Absolutely not. Listen to, you know, like YouTube videos or Spotify. Uh, So I can listen to some YouTube. Spotify is banned in the whole office. Every browser-based podcasting platform Mm -hmm. is blocked, which kind of baffles me because, like, that's the most tame thing in the world to be, like, there's no video involved. Like, why why is part of YouTube okay, but... Mm. I digress. So I've been listening to freaking music playlists on YouTube. That's been the only way to tone out the open concept office with, um, you know, people moving clothing racks around right in front of my desk, people Mm -hmm. moving, uh, people just having loud conversations, people taking their meeting, their virtual meetings off mute and just talking into their phones when they are in a half-wall cubicle. Oh, but they're using headphones, of course, right? Absolutely not. You can hear both sides of the conversation on calls that I'm also on. (laughs) So I get the double-down effect. So that's been horrific. And I'm just trying to think of anything good that has has been going on lately. Mm. I mean, donating blood is good. You should all go do it. Voting's good. I hope everybody went and did that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, you know had that whole debacle on election day yeah but aside from that i haven't really been getting into much new stuff i've been you know re-watching one piece a bit for some inspiration and kind of just chilling man great well i have all sorts of stuff to talk about all right, this well, let's hit it. all right first and foremost it probably goes without saying but I have been watching the crap out of Andor. I won't spoil anything because I know it's a super hot show right now. And we have some listeners who are watching along or maybe aren't caught up. But I don't think that I'm alone in saying that. And this is not my like inner Star Wars fanboy talking that this is probably the best show on television right now. It's so damn good. It is about at its core how when you live under a fascist regime and are getting ground down sometimes you just have to fight back or die and it just like hits really close to home and it's like it's it's really good it feels contemporary it's gritty as hell diego luna is an absolute dreamboat you got outstanding performances from all sorts of folks 
I would very highly recommend it to anybody that has even a passing interest in Star Wars, but I digress. I mean, it sounds like it would be a good show divorced of the Star Wars IP. 100%, so, yes, yeah. absolutely. I love all of the other live action shows. I'm very transparent in that, but I feel like sometimes um, they're heavily referential to other canon and other things that have happened in animated shows or books or movies or whatever. And this very much does stand on its own two feet, which I really do love. That's good. That's kind of the circle jerk of Star Wars that I've avoided mm -hmm. for the past three years. Yep. But this is not that. So I would very highly recommend it. I saw a movie lately that was fantastic. I watched Netflix's All Quiet on the Western Front. It is a brutal World War One movie based on a book from a very long time ago, I believe, which I haven't read. But effectively, it is the story of a couple kids that sign up and it is told they're German kids. So they're on the side that opposed like the all the stories that we know and it takes place in the, like, the back couple years of the war so these kids sign up and they're going to fight for the motherland and they're just getting massacred it is brutal it is super anti-war which is a good message but yeah i mean this is like the coldest take ever but i was watching this movie and i was like damn War's bad. <laughs> Damn, war's bad. <laughs> but it like really hit close to home. <laughs> no, I don't think that I don't. I, sure, that's very surface level, but they did a very good job of like telling an anti-war war story is what I'm trying to say. That's fair. I um, mean, the cinematography is really good. The soundtrack is phenomenal. They do these building sections of the movie when you know you're headed towards a battle or something and you'll see like soldiers marching and singing and having like a jolly old time while they're walking towards like the front lines and kind of randomly you'll just hear these giant bass tones that shake your speakers in that way that's it's kind of scored a little bit like a horror movie that's like intentionally like scored to keep you on your toes and then there is a sequence in the movie where Again, this is based off existing IP, a book from like 100 years ago. So this isn't like really a spoiler, but the German soldiers that we're following and our point of view characters essentially are on the receiving end of a tank charge. And it is terrifying to see these children. They're like 16 years old, like crying in fear as tanks are going over them when they're in the trenches and just like smushing people and stuff. It is brutal but it's a very very good movie yeah if you like that type of stuff and also want to learn why war is bad check it out and then finally i'm gonna kick this to a listener question that i got a long time ago from argo motive dumb question for you steve not a dumb question since you've seen the lighthouse and the witch both directed by robert eggers what are your thoughts on the northman as well as his other works well i haven't seen any of his other works and when we got this question i hadn't seen the northman i have seen the northman now and if the Batman did not come out this year, this would be my film of the year. It's fabulous. You have incredible performances from all sorts of like S tier talent. Again, beautifully shot, beautifully scored. It's a revenge story that takes place in Viking times and with Viking clans and stuff. I've told you a couple times, Griffin, that you have to watch this movie. You'll love it. Yeah, probably will. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime right now. So you should check it out. It's very good. But those are my highlights. Very excited about all three of those. Yeah. And I think it's about time for us to get into some seltzer reviews. Oh, boy. And we just got to go into this with an optimistic mindset. Yeah, I mean, so I want to preface this with like... Happy episode 99. Yeah, happy episode 99. I have never had a seltzer above 5% ABV that was good. Yes. And so... And with that... Let's get into it. Let's get into them. First of all, this is an excerpt from 99brandparty.com. The official website of 99brand is not even 99brand. It has party tacked onto it. Up the intensity of your hard seltzer. At last, hard seltzer as only 99brand could do it. Intense fruit flavors, bigger kick. That's a hard yes. It's 9.9% ABV. And I could not find, not on the can, not on the uh, pack, not online, any other nutritional information. <laughs> this is just, 
degeneracy. <laughs> yeah, so if you're not familiar, 99 brand makes like 99 cherries, 99 bananas, all of these like 99 proof liqueurs that are, I think, universally horrible. Uh, Haley's shaking her head. I don't know. I, I've never had a good experience with one, I think. They're good to mix with. Like if you want something that is relatively high proof. Sure but has flavor and you don't want to spend a lot of money, mm -hmm. this is where you go. Okay. So I will say there's some reviews on Untapped, things like these are the seltzers that people would drink under the bleachers at a football game, things like that, right? So I would assume... Yeah, but so is vibe. Steel Reserve. <laughs> so like, what does that say? I can hear the excitement in your voice, <laughs> I will change my tune. The first one of these is good. All right. Well, speaking <laughs> of which, we got four flavors in front of us. Fruit punch, strawberry lemonade, tropical mango, and wild cherry. There's no specific copy on any of these on the website. How are we going to rate these seltzers? Well, this is going to be the classic 99 scale. So one out of five, that's our lowest, is 99 Problems by Jay-Z. A good song, but you don't want those problems. You don't want the problems. Two out of five is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, wait, hold on. No, we made a change. It's, uh... it's 99 Red Balloons by Goldfinger. Three out of five is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Four out of five is Clone Force 99 from The Bad Batch. And of course, five out of five, the highest you could go is 99 bottles of beer on the wall. So you guys don't want to don't want to know what the scale was before I took some red ink to it. I think the scale is pretty good. The scale's great now. The scale had two songs repeated but in, its, in its former state. We could discuss this in the after party. <laughs> so there's a couple more things that I want to say about these seltzers that I'm going to save for after our tasting. Let's go ahead and kick this off with Fruit Punch. Now, my first feedback is the can is very exciting. There's lots to see here. It's a bright a big yellow on it, can. Yeah. It says live like the color. Yeah. Are these the same? Yeah, the copy's all the same. You want to read me that copy yeah, on there, Amp Chris? it up with this ready-to-party flavor explosion. Bold and refreshing. It drinks easy, but plays hard. Live life in color. Christ. These seem to be made exclusively to fuck people up. Contains alcohol. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> my, my dude. Bad first impression. Popped really poorly on this oh, tab. No. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Get in there. Yeah. Here we go. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> this <test> didn't look good. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh -oh. oh, my. You're shitting me. Can you taste the booze, Griffin? You can, but that's fucking f high C. Yeah, it's high C. High C it's with booze. Yeah. Smells very heavily of booze. My initial... Sniff of it was it smells very heavily of high C. Mm. I mean, I can taste the booze. It's not the same booziness of some other seltzers, but it's not really like pleasant either. Yeah, I think that's kind of tough to rate. It's smooth. Well, okay, it's not smooth. It's sweet. It's sweet enough to compensate for that booze, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it a Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it's pretty middle of the road. Like, I would probably rate it higher if I'm looking to get fucked up and probably rate it lower if I'm like looking for a craft seltzer or something. This is very clearly like juice and liquor. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. It kind of does taste like someone dumped some liqueur in fruit punch. Yeah. I think for that and hearing all those arguments, I think I'll go also middle of the road with the Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's, uh, it's unique. It's not entirely offensive, but it's not entirely good. You know, yeah. it just does its thing. You want to kick off Tropical Mango? Yeah, let's grab a mango, because this one at least will have some better parallels, I think, mm -hmm. to more common seltzer brands. And I think they was... Did Surge do a mango? Ooh, good oh question. God. Hmm. He's going back in. I just kind of got to get over the... Like, it's got the same booze to it, you know? But I, I just... I don't hate it. I think I agree with that. And yeah... Like it, if it, you it almost suits the mango better. Yeah, it does. I 100% think it complements the mango much better than it did the fruit punch. Man, I, Christ, that's. I actually think the mango flavor is pretty juicy. It's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. You know, I'm shocked by that as well. Like, I still get that booze, but I'm. I feel like 
part of me is biased to be looking for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the the mango by itself is is good if a little sweet and artificial, kind of like this was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would never say that that's like a true to mango flavor. It's more like a true to. It's how like Fanta is to orange juice that right. is to mango. I think that judging on the purpose of the premise, and the premise is that this is a tropical mango high ABV seltzer, that achieves what it's attempting to do. Yeah, I think one thing that we need to clear up with this is like, the promise of the premise with these is to get you fucked up. Mm -hmm. Are we ignoring that premise? With that premise in mind, these are 10% and that booze is there, but it's not I mean, I get less booziness out of that than I do like a imperial stout. There's a there's you know a truly I mean? extra, which is an eight percent truly that's mango, and I remember that being horrific. This has more booze on it, and I would reach for it ten out of ten times over that. Yeah. So I'm you I'm know four. I, I was thinking the same. I think you yeah. know if we take that consideration in in mind, the promise of that premise, yeah. I think it deserves you know a Clone Force ninety nine. Yeah. If I were rating this purely on like mango versus like a white claw mango versus like like the other five sure. percenters, it might be lower. It might be more like a three because of that boozy flavor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's hard to argue that it's double. It's like drinking two of them. I'm right there with you. We're throwing out some Clone Force 99s. Call us Echo. <laughs> that was a good joke. This next one is strawberry lemonade. You gonna wrecker it? <laughs> Well, that's going to get me record. <laughs> yeah, these are going to get Clone Force, Clone Force 99 record. Oh, you're shitting me. That one's great. That's pretty fucking that's good. That's really good. I don't even I, taste the booze, the booze as much as that one. It's gone. like gone. God, <laughs> they, you guys are going to be so fucked up tonight, it aren't you? Oh, that's oh, it. Yeah, you know, the, I brought that, the whole 12 That's pack. 99 bottles of beer on the wall for me. <laughs> that one's really good. Now, I, I really, really like the flavor of strawberry lemonade. And it reminds me exactly of the one that I think it's Chili's used mm-hmm. to have or still has the strawberry lemonade that's yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh, yeah. The chili strawberry lemonade is very good. Yeah, I remember that. Um, <laughs> got me all confused here. Now, this is a little sweet. If I was drinking multiple of these in a row, like if this was an all lemonade pack, that would be a bit much for me. I do think it is maybe a little bit high for me in the in this sweetness, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It is absolutely fulfilling the purpose of the premise. I'm a little softer on the overall sweetness, so I will be giving this a four out of five Clone Force 99. In that way, maybe I'm just a little Omega over here, but uh, pretty good. The you know what? Not bad. Would you guys believe that Steve didn't initially put Clone Force 99 into the rating scale? I did that. Uh, we can talk about that in the after party. The revisions to the scale. The, 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 the amount, the amount of uh, jokes you've made off of it, everyone would assume. I think it fits very well mm-hmm. into the pack. I think that's one reason why it's so good is that like this isn't as sweet. Sure. Uh, it's more it's more sour. This is l- certainly less sweet than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how like the wild cherry kind of rounds it out. And here's my thoughts on this. I think this is going to make or break the pack. The pack's trending very high right now. Yeah. If I get a bad medicinal boozy strawberry, it's really going to sour me on the rest of this. You mean cherry? Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> I think that's very possible with how sweet this stuff has been. But if it's like like a sweet maraschino cherry done well, like I'm not not against it. Right now I'm getting Swedish fish off the smell. Okay. I'm also getting that Swedish fish smell. Yeah. I don't know that it breaks the pack for me. It's certainly not the standout of the pack. No, it's not the standout, but I will say I like this flavor of cherry in a hard seltzer more than I like the universal black cherry flavor that everybody makes. Yeah. That doesn't really hit for me in a hard seltzer pack. I kind of like this. You know what this one reminds me of? Um, the Christmas cherry. That oh, one yeah. In one of the, in yeah. one of the Christmas packs the, we had eight yeah. months ago. Past Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I think this is good. I'm going to give it a Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm not mm-hmm. a big fan of cherry to begin with. Uh, you know, I think it's fine. Yeah. I can definitely taste the booze in it. And again, it's like, it's a little cloying for me. It's almost like maraschino cherry juice mm-hmm. where it's just like sticky. I feel like this is the stickiest of them. Mm. You know what? I'm judging this on the promise of the premise as we all should be. I'm judging this against the 
slew of cherries that I've had in packs that just make me kind of eh. Yeah. I'm going to give this a little bit of an edge here. Call me Hunter because this is a four out of five. Clone Wars 99, baby. This is pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Overall, I mean, very solid pack. Yeah. Tell you what, almost across very the board for me. Pack. This is almost a clo- like a Clone Force ninety nine. Not a bad batch. It's not a bad batch. God damn it, Steve. <laughs> All right. Well, so I think it averages just slightly below a four across yeah, it's like the right board for four. me. Yeah. I think it's close to that for you too, because you had that have, five in there. I have two threes, a five, and a four. Okay. So, so just shy uh, of a just four. Just shy of a four for me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. This is way better than I thought it was going to be. This is now the choice for high ABV seltzer. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. So you mentioned the high ABV, which we've been referencing quite a bit here. (laughs) Take your hard seltzer experience up 99 notches is what it says on the website. Similar to the Jay-Z and Linkin Park's unforgettable mashup album, Collision Course, where 99 Problems is crossed over with points of authority and one step closer, 99brandparty.com provides pairings for each flavor of hard seltzer with shooters of their liqueur. That's just an irresponsible idea with these. Do they really? Mm Mm-hmm. I thought all the pictures were of generic seltzers. They are... (laughs) But they are <laughs> specifically talking about the flavors that they offer. Oh, really? So they, like, do, they don't picture their own brand. Maybe they released this just before they released the seltzers, and they were like, get ready, guys. Mm, get ready. <laughs> Wait, so the flavors are coming. Are the, do you have any of the pairings? Not written down, but I do know that they suggest that you dump a shooter of 99 banana into a couple of these. And I think... Mango, Haley? specifically. Oh. Uh, which, by the way, we do have a 99 Bananas <laughs> That's sounding like after-party material to me. Because I... I don't know if I'll make it through. I'm not finishing the episode if I dump a 99 Bananas into one of these and drink it. <laughs> that is... These are already two seltzers in a can. Yeah. <laughs> so to add a shot of 99 proof liquor into right. one of them. And that's that's the other point that I want to make about the website. There's no explicit ratio that they say. There's so no it's ratio, a, so, so it's, it's implied you just dump them together. Yes, it's implied that you dump the entire shooter into a full can of these, which is fucking nuts. Which is why they probably use the generic images, because like someone is going to sue them for that. Yeah. <laughs> so the final question that I wanted to ask is you know, I usually ask some sort of kitschy question at the end, and this one I have is, would you take these seltzers down and pass them around? And I think yes. Yeah, I these agree. Are fucking tight. I agree. I mean, I don't think you get through 99. No. <laughs> no, you get through like three. <laughs> but uh, let's divide these up, man. I know you were a little softer on the cherry, so I'll uh, go ahead and grab I'll, that. I'm going to get the strawberry lemonade. That's uh, that's in my ballpark. Um, I think these were... Roughly the same for me, so I don't really care. Same here. I'll just go ahead and grab this mango if you don't mind. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. All right. Well, next up is our TTRPG themed segment, and this one y'all voted on for Griffin's God Complex. And this time, we're doing a classic Pathfinder deity, a Chekak, spelled confusingly. So I had to write down the actual phonetic pronunciation on the agenda we have in front of us. But In this segment, we usually talk about the inspirational lore that the Pathfinder writers pull from, from our real life. Then we talk about the god, its place in the Pathfinder lore itself, and then talk about its stat block if it has one. Now, we wanted to do this god because this god is very, very cool, but there's no clear parallel to the lore that we have as a human society on Earth. So instead of talking about that, what I'm going to be doing today is talking about their followers, the Red Mantis Assassin Organization, because they go hand in hand with this god. And we're also going to be changing up the cadence of how we do this. Usually I do all of that ahead of time, and then Griffin talks about the Pathfinder stuff. We're actually going to start with Griffin talking about the god's place in the world. Then I'll talk about the followers, and then we're going to wrap it up with the stat block. So Griff, whenever you're ready, man. A Chekek, that's the, uh, <laughs> not the pronunciation I ever would have gone with. I think, <laughs> I think I always think of it as like Achekek or something. Me too, yeah. 
Chekek, uh, also known as the Mantis God, he who walks in blood or uh, during the days of ancient Aslan, he of bloody claws and savage bite. He is from Bloodvale, which is like a cavern under the Spire of Phrasma. Ooh. In the Boneyard and is lawful evil. His areas of concern are blood, death, and assassination, but during the time of ancient Aslan, his areas of concern were monsters, murder, natural disasters, and is currently worshipped by the Red Mantis Assassins, which you'll talk about. His edicts are conducted assassinations, spread the Red Mantis's infamy, uh, wield sawtooth sabers in combat, and anathema is to kill a rightful ruler, become fixated on petty matters such as others, gender or ancestry, abandon an assassination contract you agreed to pursue. So as a lawful evil god, you've got your kind of like lawful neutral, neutral evil corner of clerics. And favorite weapon is obviously a sawtooth saber. A symbol is cross mantis claws. So some of you might have seen that on like a, almost every NPC art of a red mantis assassin. And sacred color is obviously red. So Chekek is the god of assassins. His worship is based on the island of Mediagalti, I think is right. Mediagalti. Mm-hmm. And he kind of takes a spot between Calistria, who is the goddess of revenge, but not murder, and Norgerber, who is the god of all murder, whether paid for or not. So he's kind of like the the middle spot where it's like revenge paid for by assassination. Boom, a Chekek. The history of this deity is kind of strange because Achekek is kind of debated as to whether they actually are a deity. The creature was essentially the first thing that the gods created. Hmm. So he was meant to like carry out their will and to kind of be a neutral party in certain like disputes. Other people believe that Achekek's creator was a deity that a Chekek himself murdered. So Ooh. like the record of it is lost, but according to the Windsong Testament, he was one of the first eight deities of creation and was originally a lawful neutral judge over good and evil. Then when the first deities turned their attention toward the material plane, a Chekek stood sentinel at the edge of Phrasma's spire to oversee the creation of life. And then near the end of the age of creation was when Rovagug was, you know, rampaging and a chick consumed his own impartiality to become a savage mindless beast to contest Rovagug. The ultimate sacrifice. Right. So in the age of legend, he was before he was the assassination god, he was worshipped by the Aslanti as the god of monsters and natural disasters. And uh, some of his priests claimed that he was responsible for Earthfall, which is strange. At some point after that, his faith spread to Mediagalti Isle, where you know his worships de- worshippers devoted him with murder and blood. But essentially, he was made as like an agent for the gods because the gods didn't want to get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. So, like to go deal with things that the gods wanted dealt with. So he was created with the power to kill anything of demigod level and below, but can't touch the gods. Sure. It kind of straps him, right? It makes sense that he is the god of assassination now because he's kind of the god's assassin. Like, he is, he is their assassin to deal with lesser beings that they don't want to deal with. A Chekek uh, is kind of, you know, is not on good terms with many of Galarian's other deities as a giant mantis creature. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really like, you know, it doesn't have like a humanoid form like a lot of the other deities. doesn't really commiserate with a lot of them except for grandmother spider which is actually a chekek's younger sister i don't know if you knew that Ooh, no you know what i believe like Haley told me that at one point when we were talking about grandmother spider stuff and like they have this really interesting cool relationship yeah so so like although the gods know that a chekek shouldn't be able to harm them no one dares oppose him as the basically pinnacle of a, of an assassin, mm-hmm. and so when when he has this like little sister, it's it's odd because she, grandmother spider, is kind of about like opposing some of the unjust gods and like and she 
constantly tries to convince Achekek to do so, and he always declines. But then you find that, like, Achekek as a god becomes displeased with any of his followers that do anything to any of Grandmother Spider's followers. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's, it's like taboo to take out an assassination in the Red Mantis organization on a follower of Grandmother Spider. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about him is that, like, he just knows when, like, an assassination contract happens. Like, when somebody wants someone dead, he knows. And he just, like, finds his targets. And, like, with, with the deific power he has, he just kind of knows, like, oh, uh, Tuareg wants so-and-so dead. Boom, I'm there. Boom, yep. you're dead. You'll talk a lot about the church, uh, but I did want to talk about his realm because I, I alluded to it. He's got the, this opening to his realm, uh, which is called Blood Veil. It's carved into the base of Phrasma's spire in the Boneyard, and the caverns run adjacent to Hell, Abaddon, and the Abyss. They're full of crimson jungles, and uh, the plane has like razor-edged walls that include passages into those adjacent planes. So, like, the Mantis God burrows into, like, these other planes and keeps dens. Like, he has a huge den in Avernus, like, buried under Avernus. Oh, how cool. And then he just has this, like, dope herald <laughs> that's called Zaruthus, which is a huge intelligent Mantis that enjoys destroying villages of blasphemers and is confused with Achekek because it's, like, these giant mantis monsters don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So, so like, to have one, it must be a Chekak. That's what he is. But, no, he's just got this herald that's, like, equally big uh, monster mantis thing. There's nothing about how Zaruthus was created or anything, so it's, mm-hmm. it's just strange that, like, this creature also exists that follows a Chekak and is, like... Yeah, I'll pretend to be you and like massacre a village on the material plane <laughs> and go away. I'll help like people be afraid of you. Sure. But it's just a very interesting god. And there's a lot to talk about with the Red Mantis because obviously the devotion to him changed after Aslant from this just like god of beasts and, and calamities really to this god of more like clandestine murders and and like this god with like a very strict code. Yeah, it's it got like hyper specific. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of coincides with like him not really being a god, but is a god. Mm-hmm. Like that that weird area where it's like, okay, well, most gods like have a bunch of different ways you worship them, and a Chekek is very like siloed yeah. now. So with that, I'll kick it over to you for some of the Red Mantis stuff. Heck yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I had a lot of good times researching these Red Mantis assassins because there's so much out there on them. It seems like they are in all sorts of back matter and have their own pages and different source books. I'm going to reference some specific ones that you can check out as we hit different parts of this little dissertation I'm about to throw out here. But effectively, who are the Red Mantis assassins? Well, they are one of the most feared organizations in all of Galarian. They are an order of professional assassins, and they have a couple trademarks. So if you see a Red Mantis assassin, you're probably going to be able to recognize them on site. Though, if they're coming after you, they're probably going to be the last thing you see. And what are you going to see? Well, they're always decked out in red and black leathers. They wear white armor and carry these serrated blades called sawtooth sabers. And they actually wield them with reverse grips. So when they're coming at you, it looks like they take the visage of a praying mantis with their like weird backwards claws coming at you. They also wear these helmets. Very few of them do not wear the helmets, only the most distinguished or brash or old ones reveal their faces, but the helmets are a special piece of gear in their own in that they give them enhanced sight and I believe some sort of ability to understand how close to death the people they look at are. So very cool. Yeah, they get like Death Watch and like Dark Vision or something, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. Death Watch isn't that great though. <laughs> As Tulia has learned. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, Haley. It's a thing that comes with the helmet. (laughs) (laughs) So I think what's worth mentioning, and it's been alluded to definitely by Griffin, is that this is not just some cabal of assassins that are very good at killing people. This is an actual religious organization worshiping the god of assassins. The actual start date of when they started worshiping them in common times is unknown, but the, like, assassin slash church 
hybrid model began in Rahadum. They were neutral in this religious conflict in Rahadum called the Oath Wars. This is a three-way conflict between the worshippers of Nethys, Norgaber, and Sarenrae. They were basically fighting for who's going to be the dominant religion in the region. Through that time, your Red Mantis assassins were taking contracts and kind of flip-flopping sides with, you know, who would pay the highest dollar and stuff. But when the Oath Wars ended in 2560 AR, which if you know your timeline is about 2000, 2200 years ago from like current adventure paths, the city that they were in in Rahadum in general said enough's enough. Y'all get out of here. All three of those religions, you Red Mantis assassins and anybody else that worships gods get out of our country. So they relocate to the Mediagalti Island, which is situated off the western coast of that country. They're headquartered on that island in a citadel called the Crimson Citadel, which is a fortress deep in the jungle near a town called, oh boy, Illy's McGordy. It's the only- Illy's McGordy. (laughs) (laughs) I think I nailed it. It is the only city on the island and is mostly populated by the people who are part of this Red Mantis assassin organization. So these assassins are generally considered to be the best assassins in all of Galarian and are up for hire. Like a a Chekak, I'm still having trouble with that name. They also skew lawful evil, but that's obviously not the only alignment they can be. And like you said, they refuse to take contracts on rightful monarchs. So if someone were, for example, take out a contract with them to kill a king who was born into power and it was always his seat of power to have, they're not going to take that contract. However, if there is some sort of dictator or somebody that weaseled their way into power or got into their position through some sort of deceptive means, that's fair game even if it's like the same level as that proper monarch, which I thought was kind of interesting and a cool little asterisk to throw on there. Red Mantis assassins cannot be contacted. They're going to contact you if they hear about the bounty that you want to post. And some people hypothesize that they have some sort of supernatural or magical sense, which lets them know if you're looking to have somebody whacked. They name their own price in their contracts It's never negotiable and is not always money. So it can be favors or clout or whatever, but that is the price that you have to pay. And if you don't want to pay it, they're going to walk away. If the client tries to change the arrangement of the bargain or add riders or do anything besides assassination, they're going to they're going to get some heat from the Red Mantis assassins. You're not going to want to go back on your terms. And if you are truthful with your terms and you go through the full contract, you can guarantee that person that you want dead is going to be dead. The Red Mantis assassins make sure that the person that they're contracted to kill gets killed. And then if that person is resurrected, they're going back for them. So, yeah, I thought that was cool. It's like, yeah. you know, not only will we kill them for you, but they're going to stay dead. Mm-hmm. So. I'm about wrapped up here, but the last thing that I want to talk about is the organization. So beneath the Red Mantis God himself, the assassins report to a cabal of assassination lords called the Vernai. These are also known as the High Killers, who are largely women and preside over killings. They each have their own little sliver of the world that they're responsible for. Above them all is a blood mistress who is the only member of the Vernai whose name is known to the public and has access to this special library called the Sarzi Library, which is said to be one of the oldest and most comprehensive libraries in all of Galarian, which I thought was super interesting that they have all this knowledge and they're like hoarding it for one person. It's like when you're like president, they give you all the secrets, right? Exactly like that. Yeah, I guess so. So the current blood mistress is this lady called Jacqueline, who has led the cult since around the time of Aridin's death and appears to be human or near human, though that was over 100 years ago and she should definitely be dead by now. She's never gotten the Sun Orchid elixir. There's no record or indication that she's had anything magically done to her to keep her alive. She just seems to be eternally young and leading 
this cult slash religious organization slash cabal of assassins. Pretty interesting. But if you want to learn more about her, there are four full pages in Lost Omens Legends about her, including a little bit of a breakdown of the Crimson Citadel where she's headquartered, as well as a bunch of specific like feats or spells that you can take if you wanted to be a Red Mantis assassin in Tui. And if you just want to learn more about Red Mantis assassins, like I said, they're detailed in all sorts of different books and back matter across the library of one and 2e content that Paizo has put out. But notably, in the Adventurer's Guide in one there are specific prestige classes, archetypes, spells, items, all sorts of stuff that if you wanted to make a 1e Red Mantis assassin or somebody that's like affiliated with them, that's where you should go first. So... I don't know. This one was really cool. I, I like these guys. They're awesome. The archetype in 2E is also really flavorful. Yeah. The, the Red Mantis assassin archetype. Alex played it in a level 10 scenario Ooh. that I ran him through, and uh, it was strong. Nice. You turn into a big Red Mantis. Oh, yeah. I like that. At later levels, you get like this polymorph thing. Well, talking about big Red Mantises, this thing's actually statted out, right? <laughs> yeah, so... This was maybe before Paizo was like, hey, we're not statting gods. Or maybe it's due to a Chekex nebulous status as a god or not. But this is definitely like the strongest demigod that they've statted. Maybe not to date because this was statted in Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. This actually came out in book three of Curse of the Crimson Throne. Ooh. Very interesting that, that they put the god in there. Yeah. Um, now, I haven't looked at this stat block at all, so this is all very brand new to me. But I am looking at your iPad, and I see the CR on this thing. Yeah, and you got to take this with a grain of salt because it's 3.5. Mm-hmm. So most transfers over, but it's not perfect. So in 3.5 terms, this is probably a little weaker than what a CR 30 would be in Pathfinder 1st Edition terms. But God, the description they give it. <laughs> it's almost too enormous to comprehend. A titan nightmare clad in blood-red armor. A typhoon of grasping claws and toxic stings. Its legs are shuddering pylons. Trees whose trunks bear bark of polished chitlin. Its eyes are faceted, or chitin, rather. <laughs> I'm thinking cracklins. Um, <laughs> its eyes are faceted, one track mind over here. faceted crystal domes lit from within by angry volcanic fire. Yet when the behemoth walks, its body moves with a silence made all the more horrific by the impossibility of its size. Mm. So it is a lawful, evil, colossal outsider. It's got 240 feet of dark vision, death watch, true seeing, 44 perception. It's got what's called an unweaving aura, which is a 60-foot aura. It's an invisible aura of abjuration energy. Each round, a creature in this aura must make a DC 32 will save. Failure indicates that a random ongoing magical effect on the creature is dispelled as if by a successful dispel magic effect. If the creature has no applicable magic errors to be dispelled, it takes two points of charisma drain instead. Oof. So that's a fun aura. I think the DC is quite low for that, um, mm-hmm. which maybe is intentional, maybe is a part of the conversion. But it's got a 46 AC. Gunslingers, come on out. 16 touch. Uh, nice. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> Jesus, it's got um, 805 hit points with regeneration 40. All of its saves are, well, it's it's fortitude and reflex are in the 30s. Its will is in the 20s. Got freedom of movement and improved evasion. DR20 epic. It's immune to ability damage, ability drain, blindness, death effects, energy drain, fire, and mind-affecting effects, paralysis and poison. It resists acid 20, cold 20, electricity 20, and has spell resistance 42. <laughs> oh, God. It's got 180-foot land speed. Just, just like, uh, just like as one move, as one movement, nothing. Yeah. He doesn't have to cast the spell. I mean, I mean or activate it's, it. just, it's impossibly large. You know, it's like one step for him yeah. is massive. It's like a titan taking a step. Yeah, but he's got eighty foot climb speed, hundred eighty foot fly speed. He's making four claws on folks <laughs> and a bite and a sting. They're all at plus forty two to hit. They're all at improved crit range fifteen to twenty and do poison. And he's got range spikes that also have an improved crit range of 18 to 20 and do poison. Uh, his special attacks are he can create gate and rend. So if he hits you with two of the claws, he does another 48 plus 24 points of damage. So this is kind of wild. I, I was looking at his abilities and he's got 
Savage Criticals. So I think that's what's doing this critical thing. All the Mantis God's natural weapons threaten a, a critical hit on a roll of 18 to 20. And with its improved critical feats, these attacks threaten on a 15 to 20. Any creature the Mantis God strikes with a critical hit must make a DC 43 fortitude save to avoid being stunned for one round from the force of the blow. So it's critting you 25% of the time times six natural attacks. Yep. And, you know, each of those attacks are doing, like, 48 plus 40 damage. And then, you know, if you get crit, you got to make a nasty save or be staggered or stunned, rather. So do nothing on your next turn. So it it's just going to shred stuff and, and kind of stun lock you, which is pretty brutal. But otherwise, I, I mean, his poison sucks. It's like DC 45, once per round for four rounds, it gives you 1d2 negative levels. Cures two consecutive saves. All of its attacks do this poison. Oh, so, uh, oh, all of its attacks do the poison? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> so that was like, all the critical stuff. Get fucked. <laughs> it's two consecutive saves on a DC 45. Good luck. <laughs> Once per minute as a move action, the Mantis God can just kind of <laughs> create a portal between planes by raking one of its claws through the air. This duplicates the effects of a gate spell. The gate remains open as long as he concentrates. So it can just kind of wow. go wherever. That's why he's always where, you know, his quarry is. But, I mean, he doesn't have, like, a ton of spells. Mm -hmm. He's got all kinds of, like, awesome blow, bull rush, uh, strike, combat reflex, like, dodge, hover, improve bull rush. He's got all these things that, like, a giant creature should have. Should just be, like, fucking crushing everybody as it moves through them. But aside from that, it's not terribly complex. Like, this seems like a very easy CR 30 creature to run. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. As long as you've got a good handle on your feats, then yeah, there's not yeah. a ton of, you're right, a lot of ton of like supernatural or spell likes or any of that type of stuff. Right, it's to immune to a lot of things that like a party could dish out to it. So you just don't have to track that and worry about it. Oh my God, what's that CMD I just saw? Oh yeah, it's CMD is fucking bonkers so cmd is 86 or 88 versus a bull rush or 94 versus a trip it's cmb is 58 or 60 on a bull rush i mean it's got 43 strength 46 con 36 dex uh he's only got six intelligence so he's really not big I, and dumb again gave up his like ate his impartiality and became a beast mm -hmm. like that's his whole thing yeah yeah, I mean, being immune to mind-affecting effects is crazy. I thought he had something wild on here. Oh, yeah, okay. So the regeneration is wild. Only damage dealt by a creature of demigod or greater status deals lethal damage to the Mantis God. The Mantis God regenerates even if it fails its saving throw against a disintegrate spell or death effect. If the Mantis God fails its save against a spell or effect that would kill it instantly, the effect instead deals non-lethal damage equal to the Mantis God's full normal hit point total, plus 46. The Mantis God is also immune to effects that produce incurable or bleeding wounds. There are rumors specific weapons or legendary monsters can deal lethal damage to the Mantis God as well. So it's basically you need to be a demigod. Oh, yeah. I left that part out till the end. You basically just can't kill him. Well, I, th I think, you know, I think that's their old DR epic. Sure, so you need to be sure. a mythic character to deal lethal damage to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you were, like, to kind of rewrite the stat block for, like, actual official first edition. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, because that plus the, like, regeneration 40, like, you're just not going to be doing anything <laughs> to no. it. If, you, if you've got, like, DR20 and regeneration 40, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. But I, I, I don't think he's nearly as powerful as CR30 in Pathfinder. No. Yeah. Very cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we uh, go ahead and slow it down for a break? No. I... I Somebody, I wonder if anybody's converted. They probably have. Oh, yeah. I'd be curious to see it sure. outside of 3.5. All right, folks. Well, on that note, we are going to go ahead and take a five-minute break. We're going to be back at, it looks like, 5.10 Eastern. Take this opportunity to go to the bathroom, refresh drinks, but also get some questions in for us and, of course, get those final jabs. We'll see you soon. What up? We're back and we're ready for some questions. Haley, what do you got for us for as far as questions go this evening? 
The first question I got is from Tenlan Nam's Eric. How would you tie in a PC who worships one of the assassins slash murder deities best in a... Is it best in a city slash political campaign? Hmm. I just have their mark be like one of the bookending bad guys. Yeah. I, I don't know that I have any notes on that. I think that makes the most sense. Just tie them into somebody who absolutely has to die to keep the story moving forward. Yep. And maybe you you drip them like a little bit more information on that target than the rest of the party has. And you can encourage some good role play that way between that person and the other folks at the table. I think that might lead for some good like inner table RP. But I think that's the answer to that question. Yeah. I mean, that's the easiest answer. It's the wrong answer is let them be a murder hobo because they worship a murder deity. Yeah, that sucks. And you can probably do that much more logically with other deities. That doesn't work for a Chekak, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Norgerber, it might. Sure, yeah. Or maybe like some obscure like demon or something. But yeah, this this guy's stance is pretty clear. All right, what else? Something not quite a question, but more mm-hmm. of a comment from Smeagol. Which is basically in 2E, it's called out that it's believed he was created to eradicate those who would steal a god's divinity. Yeah, before the Starstone, he killed like several, you know, level 20 people. Yeah. You know, <laughs> several baby Aridans, essentially. Uh, 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 Griff, what, what level are you taking Curse the Crimson Throne up to? <laughs> I don't know that they were, they were, they were probably like level 20 with mythic ranks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. They were like whispering tyrant esque. Mm-hmm. Yes. Maybe not quite as powerful, but similar. All right. Uh, Trey has asked bang or battle the manis God. Uh, what are you talking about? Bang. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, it, I don't think a check would be interested mm. in bang. So then you'd have to battle. That's what I'm saying. All right, all right. Well, get me caught up in that aura. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Start dispelling Good magic. Lord. <laughs> all right. And then Jason has asked, how would you run a Red Mantis Training Academy mini campaign? Would all PCs with the 2E free archetype? Yeah, I, th- I mean, yeah. I think that's the easiest way to do it. You might dabble because, you know, a cleric of a Chigkek is going to play very differently than a, a rogue with the assassin, which is essentially the red mantis um dedication i think you have room for any kind of character in that because i get the vibe very much from the red mantis assassins that it's like it takes all kinds of assassins like assassins don't have to be silent they don't necessarily have to be like your prototypical rogue silent killer Mm -hmm. like you have barbarian assassins in the in the red mantis organization. I think you're spot on there, Griff. When I was looking at the... I I mentioned it earlier, the Adventurer's Guide in 1E. They have class archetypes, like, for Alchemist. Yeah. Like, when I was describing that, like, hooded figure that wields his two little sawtooth blades like a mantis, that's a very specific and probably your most typical version of these killers. But, mechanically, there are other options available to you, which would you know, imply that they have all sorts of different options that a uh, a player or a person could choose from. Yeah, I mean, there's even just the deity itself and not associated with the Red Mantis. Like, there are notable druids that follow a Chekak and Ooh. are like loners and kind of do the assassinations like an eco, you know, no, I wouldn't say like an eco-terrorist, but they're like a, they're a murderer, maybe not a terrorist. Hey, well, I mean... They're uh, they're just old school, right? Because didn't he have something to do with like natural disasters? Exactly. Yeah. Like, old yeah. So, so yeah. like the druids that follow him have evolved from like him being the god of beasts to assassination. Yeah. Um. So I guess in regards to that question, I wouldn't necessarily make everyone take the archetype. I'd probably make everyone be lawful neutral, lawful evil, or neutral evil. Um, I wonder if there's an opportunity instead of saying everybody has to take this very specific archetype to say hey let's work together me as a DM and you as a player and make sure that that free archetype that you take is thematically appropriate yeah. to what we're trying to accomplish so if you wanted to like maybe your character's gonna come up with I don't know there's a whole bunch of bullshit archetypes in 2 he could be like carnival juggler or whatever yeah. <laughs> like maybe that's not the right one or maybe it, maybe it is like maybe, maybe that's is? the flavor of your assassin like mm-hmm. you go around with a you know your assassin goes around like 
and the you know the carnival they're they're like great at carnival stuff Mm -hmm. but their main profession is assassin and they go along with this carnival as like a as a cover so they can get close to their marks or something like sure and you know and yeah i would i would just encourage that work with your dm on that i keep saying dm that's not right work with your gm on that well, yeah, and you know, he's asking sure, from the GM's sure perspective. Yeah. I think, I think it's just it's more of an alignment thing than it is a, you know, make everyone take a similar archetype. Although a similar archetype party could be fun. It's just it's going to make that a lot less fun for your wizard assassin than it is for your rogue assassin. Right? There's a lot more juicy stuff for the rogue in there than there is for the wizard. Yeah. Cool. We got any other questions out there? Yeah, here? I have multiple. All right. Um. So, Demuth has asked, have you played Mark of the Mantis or know how good or bad it is? Uh, I'm going to say no because I don't know what that is. We, okay. we, no, we, I mean, yeah, we're not playing any Mantis shit because it features heavily in Curse. <laughs> so, like, we're not playing the follow-up to Curse campaign or the Mark of the... I, I don't even know. I don't think any of the Mark of the Mantis stuff necessarily, like, spoilers anything. I think that's, like, the one-shot adventure, like, Headshot the Rot was, but uh. for... Um, I've heard I've heard it's fun. I think some people in here have played it, but I have not. So then Newt has written Kerchanus was the god of beasts, though. Question mark was Mantis God the original god of beasts. So he's also made multiple comments about Kerchanus. I don't know actually what that god is. I've never heard of it. He's Desna's mentor that got killed by Lamashtu. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's multiple gods of beasts in, in this setting, but I mean, again, a Chekak was created by the gods, so he's not a god. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So he, he his domain was beasts, and he gives deific power to those that worship him in the form of, like, the beast domain or whatever, the animal domain originally, and then he changed. Yeah, I wonder if, even if you, yeah, you, you do, considering how powerful he is and how he's, like, worshipped and gives boons to people in this setting, if you just want to, like, if you do want to throw him under the, like, moniker of, of god like look at so death. many look different at the death domain it, that's that's <laughs> griff you, you hit like the nail on the head that's the point that i was trying to make like look at death look at life look at the weather like all of these have several different deities in pathfinder that have something ascribed to them like when you think about like the god of weather you're gonna think of gazra but there are several other deities that are also yeah like well, part of that based. too I, I think i think the thing to think about is uh, uh a Chekek was the god of beasts, but in the sense of like wild beasts and calamity, like calamitous events. So mm-hmm. he would he would also like kind of bleed into Gazra with like he would be worshipped for like earthquakes and like huge storms and that kind of thing. But like his worshippers would like sacrifice people to a pit of crocodiles. It's like monstrous beasts and wild beasts that he was more associated with mm-hmm. than like Churchanus, who would be like the god of beasts in the sense of animals like the god of horses and foxes and also crocodiles and all you know he was like the god of all animal kind and a chekek is more like the god of savage beasts sure all right kind of like lamash too is the god of like monstrous humanoid beasts like mutated beasts mm-hmm. all right Haley, what else we got all right rez has asked a question and demuth followed up with a question. So, oh, I'm scared. Rez has asked, and this is not related to anything today, <laughs> but if you were a dragon, what would you hoard up to three things? What would Oof. you hoard? Oof. Hmm. Money. Up to three things? <laughs> up to three <laughs> That's things. That's my first thing. Huh. Does having an extensive following of devotees count? I was going to say, <laughs> I was just about to say, like, can you hoard influence? That's a, that, be, that's a better way of saying what I was going to say is hoarding people. Oh, <laughs> uh, were you going to just hoard a harem? Okay, that's not, that's not what I wanted to say. That's what I meant. I think influence is a good answer to this. I don't know if it's possible to hoard uh, it. But. Yeah, influence. A reminder, uh, hoarding means you can't really spend it. Uh, yeah, am I going to be spent? But you can't spend influence. Yeah, so no, it's that's perfect fine. Thing to it's hoard. just the first thing was money, so that's mm. why I wanted to make sure yeah. that's you know the, the perfect mm. things to hoard are things that can't be spent. Ah, so something like influence is just something you can gather and amass and have, but using it doesn't spend it. Hmm. So with that in mind, well then yeah, I guess I would have to redo my whole thing. 
Legos. <laughs> what do you want? You're not gonna spend them. You're just gonna build them. Yeah, I just build them. I guess. Two would be provocative artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's he's uh, hoarding Legos, porno, and what else? Mm. Can I do porno toys? Oh my god. I don't know. I guess you can have separate piles. <laughs> yeah. Two. Yeah. Legos in two piles of porno. That's my answer. You're not going to hoard any lube to go with that other pile? <laughs> Don't need it. <laughs> Don't need it. Okay. I mean, that's... Yeah, I guess maybe not. Um, I, th- I think... I think... <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to beat porno, I guess. Yeah, so you might as well take that, too. <laughs> and there's an established precedent that you can uh, have that be more than one of your answers. I think... Again, I'm thinking of things that don't require being spent. So influence, knowledge, and um, trying to think of my last one. I don't really know. You're on a like, ticking clock. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Porno. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Love it. All right. What else we got? Uh, the follow-up question from Demuth was, well, what kind of dragon would you be? A bad one. <laughs> a bad one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that was great. <laughs> I think I just got an achievement unlocked. Make Haley laugh harder than I've ever made her laugh <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I think based off of my answers, I'd be a blue dragon. Oh, God. Nice. Somebody posted a Thanos dick into the chat, I think that is. Yep, Mm. Uh, that is the case, yep. (laughs) Holy crap. Uh, What's the rest of our questions looking like? How many we got? I want to to understand Uh, the spreads. You only have one singular question left. All right, great. We are uh, coming up on time here. So, yeah, let's do one more, and then we're getting into final jab territory. And then we do have some exciting announcements. Um, Yeah, so the only last question was from Smeagol, who asked at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. Griffin, were you wearing that hat when you went to the haunted house? It's a paranormal investigator hat for context. I don't remember if I was. See, and me, that's where you went wrong. <laughs> I mean, I've had the hat for a while. And I certainly owned the hat when we went. I don't know if I was wearing a hat. Hmm. Who knows? I don't remember much of it, so. Yeah, my memory goes in and out of that night. Yeah. If I was wearing it, it made it back home with me. So that's a win in my book. <laughs> well, that was really the last question, ultimately. So. Fantastic. Well, I think it's time to do a little bit of housekeeping before we say goodbye to you all and do the final jab. So something very exciting we got going on is this is the 99th Zone of Truth. What are we planning to do for the 100th episode of Zone of Truth? Well, episode 100 of the Zone of Truth is going to be another live episode. And similar to the charity stream that we did, this one is going to be on Twitch. So it will be available to everyone. But that being said, it is not gonna be a charity stream. What it's gonna be is kind of like a State of the Union address where Griffin and I are gonna be running through some, how do I put this? Incredibly exciting HLP updates. I don't know what I can say yet, which I'm gonna kick to you in a second, Griff, but basically we're gonna be making one giant statement and then taking a whole lot of questions and it is going to take place on December 3rd. So twitch.tv slash hideous laughter pod, December 3rd, we're gonna communicate the exact time of that TBD, but Griffin, what are we gonna be talking about? A lot of stuff, notably all of the shows that we have in the works for next year, including the successor to Carrion Crown. Who's playing in that? What system we're playing? What, um, you know, adventure? What the, yeah, what adventure we're playing. We're changing the Hideous Laughter podcast logo and the theme song. So those will all be shown during that stream. Not the network logo, that stays the same. But just for the Hideous Laughter podcast show itself, we're going to talk about all the new uh, 
the new Patreon updates that we're going to have, including some exciting news for Bestow Curse. And yeah, I think, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of lay it all out there. So those of you that have heard about, you know, speak with plants, you're going to hear about it a little bit again. You know, those of you that were here and listened for the updates on linked legacy, we're going to explain those in more detail and, you know, obviously reiterate what we're playing for all of those as well. So it's going to be everything we're doing. Yeah. It's not one you're going to want to miss. We have all sorts of exciting stuff to announce. And then afterwards, we're going to be taking questions. So if you want some clarification or are just excited about what we're doing and want to ping ideas off of us, that's your opportunity. It's all going to be live. We're not going to be drinking 99 brand seltzers. I'll be a little bit more sober for that. Um, but uh, we have a good time. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to try and give you guys a, you know, a rough timeline of stuff um, as we kind of close certain projects and open up others. So, um, so we'll try and keep you at least within a quarter season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the stuff that we have planned is so exciting. I'm actually confident you all are going to love it. I'm so excited. But that being said, we can't talk about that anymore because that's got to wait for Zone of Truth episode 100 live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash hideous laughter pod on the 3rd of December. And on that note, I think it's time for the last jab of the day before we wrap this up and go to the after party. So, Haley, what do we got? Well, Rez begged everyone to be very nice today because that's the mood that she is in. And so the they were double mean. <laughs> actually, um, they were nice. Even Corey sent something nice, which that was, I actually don't believe. Well, Corey said Rez asked me to be nice, so you guys get a reprieve. Don't get used to it. And then Rez has said, Haley Griffith, Steve, you're all doing so great today, looking fabulous. I'm especially proud of you for being here today. Brooks, Emily, Chris, and Tim, you're also all doing great and looking amazing. I'm proud of you too. That's the final jab. What a sweetheart. Thank you, Rez. I appreciate that. Yeah, the rock. We needed that because we're gonna get really drunk off of these, and later we'll think back. On, later today, we'll think back on that final jab and smile. Yeah. <laughs> no, truthfully, no amount of bullshit that makes my heart very happy. Thank you for being nice. That was a very sweet message. And on that note, Griff, what do you want to tell these jabronis? Finish your drinks. We'll see you for Zone of Truth One Hundred later. Well, I was looking through the house and we it's been, we, we desperately need to go grocery shopping. <laughs> I was like, I don't have anything for a snack. And we recorded way too late for me to order anything. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, so what did you eat? Griffin? Hmm, I have a little bit of Marie Callender chilies in, uh, in the hey, fridge from, for, or not in the fridge, in the, in the pantry from eight months ago when I thought they were a good idea from Costco. <laughs> You know what? I, so, so here's where we went. Mine was actually homemade. Wait, no, hang on. No, no, no. Here's here's where we went. Mm-hmm. So then I turned to Haley. He's on the couch. I'm like, I'm gonna do something really disgusting. Don't judge me for it. And then I proceed to pour the chili in a in a pan to start heating it up. Take take the cup over to the sink. Uh, fill that with water. Pour that into the chili, and then make. Uh, make ramen in the chili. What the fuck?